Good morning and welcome to the Gathering Church. My name is John Mark Redwine. I'm the lead pastor. So good to have you guys with us here today. A big welcome if it's your first time, man. We're just so honored to have you with us. Thanks for joining us today. Man, we, we, we would love to get to know you better. And so if you fill out that Connect card and just let us know you were here, man, we, we would love the opportunity to connect with you. A big welcome to everybody joining us online. We're so honored to have you watching with us this morning. If you didn't know, uh, we have a great online experience at live.gatherashville.org. Uh, we have about 100 plus people tuning in online every Sunday. And that whole system is managed by our awesome Dream Team. It's a volunteer run production. Uh, uh, Matt Dunn and his team do that. And man, we're just so grateful to them and, and, uh, and, and for putting that together so that when you can't be with us, you can still be with us. So welcome. We're glad to have you. In just a few weeks, I wanted to share this with you this morning. If it's, if it's your first time, if you've only been with us for a short while, in just a few weeks, uh, we're putting something on called the Newcomer's Dinner. My wife, Raelle, and I would love to host you for supper uh, at East West. That's up in West Asheville. It's a nice, intimate location. Uh, we'll have some tacos there, and that is on May 22nd from, uh, I think it's like 6.30 to 8. That sounds about right. And, uh, and, and what, what, what we want to do in that, in, that, in that environment is just get to know you a little bit. You know, we know that uh, when you come into the church for the first few weeks, or maybe you've been here a few months, maybe you've been here a year and you still haven't really met anybody, um, that it can be a little bit hard to break through community anytime you're in a new one. And so at the gathering, we try to do everything that we can to ease that transition. We, we want you to be doing life with other people. And so uh, these newcomer, newcomers' dinners are just an opportunity for you to meet other folks who've been at the gathering for a short while. And it's, a, it's an opportunity to sit down and, and get to know me a little bit, my wife a little bit, and then our other staff members will be there as well. And so uh, if you are interested... Uh, you can sign up online at our website, and we look forward to sharing some tacos with you there. It's always tacos, in case you're wondering if it's a gathering event that says dinner is going to be served. It's tacos, okay? We're doing tacos. And so come have some tacos with us, and, uh, and, and we look forward to seeing you there. Well, we are in week two of our series, I Want to Believe, But. I Want to Believe, But. Here's the idea for this series uh, I believe culture has shifted, that a few decades ago, even just two decades ago, most people would say they believed in God, especially here in the Southeast. Uh, most people would say, I believe in God, but they would have a, a little bit of a caveat there. There's one or two things that I don't like, but overall, I'm ready to make this statement. But now we live in a world that is different. Our, our statistics tell us that uh, more than three quarters of the people in our city aren't engaged in a church anywhere, and that a little over half of the people in our city would outright say, I do not believe in God. And I believe that our language has changed along with that. That we want to believe in God, that, that, that there's things that we love about it that we want, to, we want to understand or know more about, but then there's always this little bit of a hang-up. Last week, we talked about the on-demand God. That I want to believe in God, but He never answers my prayers. I want to believe in God, but He didn't show up when I needed Him to. This week, I want to talk about the good enough God. The good enough God. I, I want to believe in God, but I don't know if I'm good enough. I want to believe in God, but, I, but there's too many rules to follow. I want to believe in God, but then I won't be able to have any fun because I'm going to spend my whole life trying to follow rules. I want to believe in God, 
but I just don't know if I can meet the expectations that he has for me. And that's where the good enough God starts. The good enough God says, you've got to follow this set of rules. You've got to dress a certain way, talk a certain way, think a certain way. You've got to act a certain way. You've got to, you've got to meet a certain set of expectations or you won't make the cut. You see, with the, the good enough God comes the assumption of the not good enough me. And this is my story. This one is a little bit personal for me because this was the God that I didn't believe in. I grew up in the deep south in a, in a town that was immersed in Christian culture. All, all my friends, anywhere I went, were involved in a church somewhere, either in my church or a different church. And I was just around it all the time. But I, I remember thinking, even at a young age, that I wasn't sure if I would ever measure up. I remember walking out of vacation Bible school uh, one Sunday, and it was my last year in VBS. I was fourth grade, fifth grade. I don't, I'm not, I don't remember where VBS stops. I think it's the fifth grade. Probably too old to be going to VBS anyways. Anyways, I was walking out of VBS, and they had done the big altar call, and a lot of my friends had gone forward to walk the aisles. And I remember thinking, I don't know if I can do that because I don't know if I can follow all these rules. Nine-year-old me is wondering, I don't know. If I'm going to be able to follow, all, I struggle enough with my mom's rules, okay? I don't know if I'm going to be able to follow all of God's rules. So many of us have a similar experience where we just, we've been around it. Maybe you grew up Catholic or, or maybe you grew up in another part of our country. Either way, many of us have had this experience with God where we feel that what He really is, is this long set of expectations, this big set of rules, and if we can follow them well enough then we might just get into heaven. That if we just put enough of ourselves into it, or even if we feel like we can't follow those rules, maybe if we just pretend that we can. Maybe if we can just put on the face and we can smile and, and we hit church enough times and we sign up for enough serve events and we serve on the right committees, that maybe, just maybe, heaven will wait for us on the other side. And many of us, like I did, we look down the, the face of this good enough God and say, I, don't, I just don't think I ever will be good enough. And we walk away. When I was 18 years old, it began to fall apart for me. I remember thinking, I, I, I don't know that I'll, I'll hit those expectations. I don't know that I'll, that, I'll be able to, that I'll be able to be what the church expects me to be, what, what Christianity expects me to be, what good enough God expects me to be. And so I just decided it would be easier if I didn't believe in any of it. And maybe that's been you today. Maybe that's been you this morning. Uh, what I want to help you see today is that good enough God does not exist. That, that the message of the Bible, that the message of Jesus, the message of Christianity stands in opposition to the idea of the good enough God. That what we believe has nothing to do with what you can do, but it has everything to do with what has already been done on your behalf. And so today I want to talk a little bit about the difference between religion and Christianity for a moment. See, religion is at, is at the heart of the good enough God. And religion focuses on the outside instead of the inside. See, what, what religion is, is, is us trying our very best to at least seem like we've got it together enough. 
to seem like we can do this well enough, to seem like we can at least follow this many rules. And maybe if we, there's, there's, a, there's different levels and, and layers of rules, and if we can follow the really hard ones, you know, we can make it through without killing anybody on Interstate 240 today. Maybe we'll get into heaven. And that's not what Jesus teaches. There's a lot of interaction between Jesus and the Pharisees in Scripture. You see, the Pharisees were the religious people. They, they were the religious teachers. They were the ones teaching at church. They were the ones that people were studying under. They were in the keepers of the laws of God, the laws of Moses. And Jesus had these conversations with them where he tried to break down the ideas of a good enough God, knowing that what he was going to do at the end of his ministry was going to abolish it once and for all. One of his conversations is in Matthew chapter 23, verses 25 and 26. He has this conversation the week that he's crucified. He says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You clean the outside of the cup and the bowl, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will also be clean. Here's a problem with religion. Here's why we don't believe in a God of religion. It's focused on going from the outside in. But what we crave is something that moves from the inside out. Jesus spent a lot of time in his ministry trying to help people see that following him was a lot more about what's on the inside than what's on the outside. A lot of times in Southern Christian church culture, we're guilty of this as well. We have a pressure to make sure that we've got it together. We're screaming at the kids. We're swatting them in the minivan all the way up into the parking lot. And then those, those doors slide open and the light of God shines out, you know, and your kids get out. And you're like, hey, we're here, brother. Good to see you today. Everything's great today. Things are going well. And just a second ago, you were, just, you were exercising demons out of your children in the car. But you got to make sure you got it together when you check them into Sunday school. A lot of times we have this pressure on us to sign up and join and go and do things and get, in, get on this and, and get on that because the more we take on, the better the outside looks, the better it looks to the people around us. And a lot of times we rush into that before we ever care for the inside. At the gathering church, we, we've got a clear path laid out that we want everybody to walk. First, we want you to know God. First, I want to talk more about that in a minute. And then we want you to find freedom. And then once you've found freedom, we want you to discover your purpose. And then we know you're going to be making a difference. See, here's the thing about that path. It's got to be followed in that order. See, what happens is, if, if we're somewhere in the find freedom, know God phase, and we don't really know which comes first, we think religion tells us that we've got to find freedom so we can know God, and we're just going to try to discover our purpose first off so that we can learn how to do those things, it all starts to crack, and it all starts to crumble. Maybe you've been hurt in a situation like this. Maybe you were a part of a church where everything seemed like it was all together, like everybody seemed like they had it all together, like everybody seemed clean and crispy and, and like they were following Jesus. They, they all had pleated khaki pants. They were wearing t-shirts on Saturdays that said John 3.16, but it looked like the John Deere logo, and you thought these people have got it together, but then maybe one day it all fell apart. And you got to watch as one person after another began to rise up in moral failure. And, and maybe... It broke you a little bit for what the church is and what the church does. 
Maybe you're, you're still testing the waters, still trying to find out if it's okay. What Jesus is saying is you, you need to make sure that the first place you clean is on the inside. We, we want you to know God so that you have the power of his Holy Spirit to start finding freedom. I don't believe God is a chain maker. I believe he's a chain breaker. And I believe that what he does for us is once we have his power inside of us, he gives us the power and the ability and the people around us to start getting free of things that have been wrecking us from the inside. That the places where we've been broken and cracking and where it's just been getting worse and worse and worse have got to get cleaned before we start to look like it. Paul, first problem with religion is it focuses on the outside over the inside. The second problem is it's driven by rules. Basically, good enough, God says this. If you can follow these rules, you can get into heaven. If you can read your Bible this many minutes a day, if you serve at this many events, if, if you can do this, this, and this, then you're a Christian. And if you're a Christian, if you're a good enough person, then you'll get into heaven. You've just got to follow these rules. What we tend to do is we see the rules of the Bible and we get worried that if we break these rules, we won't get into heaven. So we put other rules around them. And then we start to press into those rules really hard. And when those rules start to make challenges, then we build some more rules around those. Religion just builds rules over the rules over the rules. This has always been a problem. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 23, verses 3 and 4 to the Pharisees, Be careful to do everything they tell you, but don't do what they do. For they do not practice what they preach. They crush people with unbearable religious demands and never lift a finger to ease the burden. You see, what, what the Pharisees were teaching came from a heart of God. It started with the laws of God. It was good. But then they started to put more on it. And they started to make the burden heavier. And they started to press in more and more. And the people were starting to feel like they couldn't stand up under the weight of it. If you look at the history, it's interesting. You know, uh, the Pharisees, they started to rise up shortly after the time of Nehemiah. If, uh, if you were here, a few weeks ago we did a series. We talked about Nehemiah and, and his story and, and, and what he did for the Jewish people. I'll catch you up. Basically, the Jewish people got distracted in their relationship with God and started to pursue other things. And so God took away their holy city. They were exiled out of Jerusalem and Jerusalem was destroyed. A little over a hundred years later, a man named Nehemiah came and led a vision and a movement to restore the city. Ezra was the high priest and the prophet. He restored the temple and the city was brought back to life again. But about a decade and a half after that, all of the same mistakes started to come back in. People got distracted from God again. Because we just have a hard time, don't we, following the rules. And so what Ezra and Nehemiah did was they started to set up some rules around the rules of God. Just simple ones at first to protect the temple, to protect what was happening in God's house of worship. But that grew. And over the next 200 years, it became a movement known as the Pharisees. And the Pharisees were devoted to creating laws to protect the laws of Moses, the laws God gave us in the Bible. There were over 600 laws written by the time Jesus walked the earth. 600 laws around all of the laws that already existed. You see, here's what religion does. It builds rules to protect the rules. Christianity is not like that. It doesn't operate in the same way. When, uh, when I gave my life to Jesus, 
I remember feeling this my whole life, that these rules, I was just never good at following rules. When I, I, I was in the Coast Guard, and when I was in the Coast Guard, I actually got kicked back a, a few weeks in every stage of training that I was in because I was so bad at following rules. I got kicked back a couple weeks in boot camp. I got kicked back 10 weeks when I was in my specialist training. And it was, I'm just not good at it. It's not in me. I don't know. I, I think I know a better way. I just am bad at rules. And so when I was a kid, I I remember thinking, this is just a book about rules. I don't want this to dictate or define my life. And as a teenager, as I stepped into my early 20s, it only got confirmed. It got confirmed more and more. I saw things happening. I saw people who had only been cleaning the outside. I saw the inside coming to light. And I thought, that's why I don't want any part of that. That's why the good enough God will never be for me. But I hit a certain level of brokenness. I hit a a certain level of need where I just, I was desperate for hope, and I was desperate for purpose, and I was desperate for belonging, and I was desperate for joy, and I was desperate for peace, And, and somebody suggested that I look here, and I thought, well, I've looked everywhere else, and I've never actually read it for myself, so let me just see, and I was on a ship, and we were out at sea, and you get a lot of time in your hands when you're out there, and I read this book cover to cover in a couple months, and I had always had it read to me. I'd never really read it before, and I thought that the Old Testament was just this book of rules and God's wrath, that it was basically just the good enough God saying, you're not good enough and squashing humanity, but when I consumed it like that, when I read it quickly, when I studied it, when I began to search for the heart of it, what I realized was that this was a book about grace. This was a book about redemption. That this was a story of a God doing everything that he could to reconcile his creation. And over and over again, giving second chances and third chances and saying, I want you and I'm going to keep trying. And here's what you can do. Here's how. Let's do this. And then they get to the New Testament and everything changes. At the heart of this belief in a good enough God is a belief in a not good enough me. That's where we struggle. That's where I struggle. I struggled with the not good enough me. I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. I need you to hear me say today that the message of the Bible is that you're going to be made good enough. Is that Jesus says, I know you're not good enough, so I'm going to get in the way for you. I want to read you a passage this morning. It's one of the most important passages in Scripture that I think, I think it explains this point perfectly for us. Because there's good news and bad news today. Good news and bad news. The bad news first. Bad news is that you will never be good enough to enter into the presence of God. You you can never do anything in your own power. You can never follow enough rules. You can can never check enough boxes. You will never get there. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you do. You could give up alcohol, caffeine, HBO. You could give it all up. You could hook a TV guardian up to your TV. You could put on pleated, pleated khaki pants. You could do it all. It doesn't matter. You will never be good enough. You could trade the Avengers for Bible, man. I'm reaching out to my 90s church people here this morning. If you get it, you get it. If you don't, it's good, okay? You can never be good enough. You can never be good enough. That's the bad news. Are you ready for the good news? Please give me some good news, right? The good news is that you have been made holy by the only one who is. 
The good news is you will never be good enough and so God has gotten involved. The good news is that because of Jesus, you're never going to have to earn God's favor or forgiveness. The good news is that even though you could never get there on your own, Jesus is going to stand before the Father and say, this one is mine. He gets to enter into eternity. That's the good news this morning. God is not a good enough God. Here's a few things that I want you to know about God so that now, now that you know who he is not. First, the love of God cannot be earned. The love of God cannot be earned. God loves you just as much when you wake up in the morning as he does when you lay your head down to go to sleep at night. It does not matter what happens in between. Nothing can separate us from the love of God is what his word says. Neither life nor death, neither angels nor demons. Listen. Nothing that you can do will change the way that he feels about you. He's created you. He knows you. He's known you since before you walked. He's known you from the moment he formed you in your mother's womb. He put a dream in your heart. He put a purpose inside of you. He cares for you in ways you can't even understand love. That's who he is. You can't earn God's love because God has given it to you freely. Romans 3, chapter 20. Chapter 3, verse 20. It says, for no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. This is the Bible. It says, for no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. You can never earn your way into heaven. You could never behave your way into heaven. Religion tells us to act a certain way. To behave a certain way. It's a long list of do's and don'ts. And it's expectations placed upon our expectations. But that is not what Christianity is. No matter how hard you try. No matter how religious you are. No matter how many good works you do or bad works you avoid. You can't earn God's acceptance by following the rules. Religion says your good works allow you to please God. Christianity says God will come to you. I've got to help you understand that there is only one belief system on planet earth that is not reliant on what you can do, but that is completely reliant on what has been done. It's Christianity. Everything else, everything else, everything else says do this, do that, check these boxes, keep trying, keep working, and you might get to enlightenment, you might get to heaven, you might get where you want to go. The Bible says no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. No one. Which raises the question, why in the world did God give us the law in the first place if we can't be made right through it? Verse 20 says, the law simply shows us how sinful we are. It simply shows us how sinful we are. The law exists to show us that we need Jesus. It exists to show us that we need Jesus. Now hear me. Jesus said that he did not come to abolish the law, but rather to fulfill it. Jesus didn't ever, he told his followers to keep the law's commands, to live, to strive for this standard. He simplified it. He said all the law and the prophets could be summed up in these two commands. Love your neighbor as yourself and love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. It's a standard to live up to, but its goal is different. The law exists to show us our need for Jesus. That's the purpose of it. All the rules in the Bible exist to help you see how hard it is for you to follow rules. 
to help you realize that you need Jesus. Because you know what? I believe there's some of us in here this morning that are natural rule followers. And you're good with good enough God, aren't you? There are some of you, every time a rule has been presented to you in your life, you've gotten a sense of ease and comfort. You said, yes, bring me the rules. And you feel like you're doing pretty good at this. Every time I have a conversation with somebody about the good enough God and the not good enough me and the, and the way that it plays out in scriptures, every time I have that conversation with somebody, somebody will say, I, I think I'm pretty good. You know, I'm, I'm a good person. I don't know that I need God. I don't know that I need church. That I, need, I don't need your religion. I don't need Christianity because I'm a good person. I've got a high moral standard. I'm doing all right. The law exists to help us understand that we're wrong about that. I'm going to do a quick exercise this morning. Participation required. Uh, I want you to raise your hand if you've ever told a lie. Raise them up. Raise them high. Everybody look around and point at anybody not raising their hand right now and say, liar, liar, pants on fire. Liar, liar, pants on fire. One more. How about this? How about, have you ever stolen something? Oh, that's a little more embarrassing, isn't it? Raise them up. I know there's more of you. Every time you go to the bank, you leave with a brand new pin, don't you? Yeah, that's right. I know. You, you, you go to a hotel, you, take, you just hoard all the tiny bottles. You don't need them. You got plenty of shampoo at home, but they're small and they're cute, and I'm going to take them. Or, or occasionally, you're like, do they even count the towels, right? What if I just slide one of those towels in? That's not a big deal, right? Here's, a, here's one that's embarrassing. Don't raise your hands for this, please. Please. Have you ever looked a little bit too long at the beach? You know what I mean? Have you, have you ever have you been watching that show on your premium cable channel and you waited a little bit too long to hit the fast forward button or you didn't hit it at all? Have you ever lusted? See, what Jesus says about each of these things is they're more serious sins than we think they are. He talks about lust. He says, he says that if you look at a woman and you lust after her, that it's the same as committing adultery. And so if scripture is to be believed, if the law is to be believed, then right here in this room today, we are a bunch of lying, stealing adulterers. Welcome to the gathering church if it's your first Sunday. We want you to feel encouraged. Aren't you glad? I, 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 want, I want you to see this morning that God's standard is higher than our standard. That we won't be able to reach it. That his expectations are perfect because he is perfect. That if we were to enter into his presence, we would have to be doing so completely blameless on our own. And not a single one of us is blameless. We don't have it in us. Our humanity has been broken. Sin is in us. And we can't, we can't choose to be a good person by God's standard. And being a good person by our standard is still not good enough. The law is there to show us that we are wrong about that. God is perfect and his standard is perfect and we can't reach it on our own no matter how nice we are or how good we are. We need more than that. God is not a God of rules. He gave us rules so that we would have a standard to strive for but more importantly so we would realize our need for him and that's what it's all about. It's about understanding how much you need him. You don't need a good enough God today and not good enough you, there's good news. Because we have Jesus. The third point this morning is that being right with God comes by faith in Christ alone. This is the message of the Bible. The whole thing is pointing to this. Being right with God comes by faith in Christ alone. You will never be good enough 
and you don't have to be. He's done it for us. Let's finish this passage in Romans today. It says, But now God has shown us a way to be made right with Him without keeping the requirements of the law. By the way, Paul, who's writing this, was a Pharisee. He devoted his entire life to memorizing every one of these laws and pushing people towards them until he met Jesus. And everything changed. He met Jesus and he realized all of a sudden that even he wasn't good enough. That he needed somebody to get in the way for him. Somebody to help. He needed something, something to interfere, intervene. Now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law. As was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes no matter who we are. Are you in that group this morning? No matter who we are. You know, I just believed for a long time that this was true for everyone who believes except me. That Jesus died on the cross for our sins, I know that. And, and, his, and it covers the multitude of sins for everyone except for me. Because not mine. Because you don't know me. You don't know about the brokenness in me. The hurt in me, my capacity to hurt others is too big. That's not the message of Jesus. The message of Jesus says, this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. For everyone is sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. There's good news for you this morning if you've struggled with a good enough God. There's good news for you this morning if you've never pursued a relationship with God because you're worried you'll never measure up. If you're worried about your life being controlled and dictated by expectations and rules, there's good news for you. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ, and this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. No matter who we are. No matter who we are. Jesus paid it all about to bring another southern gospel back in here this morning. We were singing that song this morning that ain't no grave. I thought if we sung that song any longer, this, this high school auditorium was going to grow a steeple. <laughs> Sometimes we got to bring them back. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. He's done it. Paul says again in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, God has saved you by His grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done. So none of us could boast about it. It's not about boasting about it. It's not about looking like you're good enough. It's not about getting it all together. It's not about feeling like you have it all together. It's not about pretending that you're good enough. It's about acknowledging that you're not and going after the only one who is. Let him get in the way for you this morning. Let him take the punishment for you this morning. I, I want to talk to you for a second about atonement. Atonement. I want to talk about what that is. Because imagine if you were checking out of that hotel and they came running after you and said, you got a towel in your back. And you unzipped it and there it was. And you're just as guilty as you could be. They've got you red-handed. And they want to throw you in jail for 30 days. But imagine, I've never stolen anything from a hotel. Just imagine, it's, it's a big stretch. That My hotel record is perfect and it's clean. And I come walking up, 
And I stand before that judge and I say, listen, I've never done anything wrong like this. I've, I've never even taken the smallest amount of shampoo. I would like to go in their place. And the judge thinks about it for a minute. You want to go in their place? Okay, let's do it that way. And I'm happy because you get to be free. You see, God says that the punishment for sins, for every piece of brokenness, every mistake we'll make, all of it, that they've all got one punishment across the board. It's death. That's what we've earned. That's the only thing on our own we're good enough for. Death. But he set up this system, even in the Old Testament, where you could take your sins, your mistake, and put that penalty of death on something else, on an animal in the Old Testament. And they became the sacrifice so that you could be clean. But that was never going to last very long. It wasn't going to work. God looked at us and he saw our brokenness and our, our inability to be good enough. He saw, he saw the, the, the emptiness inside as we pursued this ideal of what, what we thought we should be. And God understood that the only one who was ever going to be perfect enough to take on all of our mistakes, to take our punishment in our place, was himself. That's Jesus. So Jesus comes to earth. He lives a perfect life. He's tempted. He's human. Never makes a mistake. Never lies. Never steals. Never lusts. None of it. Perfect life. And then he goes to the cross so that we could be free. That's atonement. Everything that could be done was done. It's already finished. I, he, he said in his last breaths, some really amazing things. One of the things was he's on this cross and on either side is a thief. And the thief on one side is hurling insults like everybody else. He's going to go out with a bang. He's saying, hey, free yourself and us if you're the son of God. But the man on the other side, he believes that Jesus is who he says he is. And he just says, please remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus, through staggered breaths, says, Today you will be with me in paradise. You see, that man would never be able to do a single thing to earn his way into God's good graces. He would never be able to earn it. He couldn't help anybody. He couldn't do a single good deed. His hands were nailed to a cross. But he got it, and so do I. I just need you to hear me say, church, I need you to hear me this morning. You're, you don't have to be good enough because the only one who will ever be good enough took the punishment for you. You get to know God right now, today, exactly as you, with every addiction that you are currently hiding, with every sin that you are currently running from, with every amount of shame and guilt that you walked in here with this morning, you can enter into the presence of God. You can. He's taken it from you. He's forgiven. He's, he's not the God who waits for you to reach up to Him. He's the God who bends down and says, you come up. I'll pull you to me. You could never reach me on your own. He is not a chain maker. He's a chain breaker. And the thing that he loves to do is set captives free. That's what he loves to do. You get to enter into a relationship with him exactly as you are. After you do, he's going to give you his spirit's power. He's going to give you his people. He's going to give you a desire to know more about him, to get closer to him. And it's going to lead you to find freedom. And those sins are going to start to fall. Those chains are going to start to break. But today, now, here, 
All you've got to do is have faith, is believe that it's done, that it's finished, that it's over, that you don't have to earn it, that you don't deserve it, that he gave you this because he loves you. That's the message of Christianity. That's who God is. He's not a good enough God. He's a, I know you'll never be good enough God, so I'll do it for you. If you're in here this morning, maybe you entered into a relationship with God and you really did. And the the door swung open. But maybe you stayed in the cage because you just couldn't believe it, that it was for you, that that you could get this, that it could be real. And you're just trying your best. You're You're just through gritted teeth trying to be okay, trying to act okay, trying to seem okay. And you're not okay. Welcome to the gathering, church. You can be not okay here. We just want to help you get better. We want to lay out a clear pathway in front of you to find freedom. We want to show you how to walk forward out of that cage, how to take those chains off. We just, that's what we love to do. This morning, let's, let's pray as we close. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for who you are, God, and what you've done, and who you've called us to be, that God, this isn't a faith based on works, that God, it's not based on what we can do. There's no, there's no question marks around whether or not we'll be in your presence one day. Father, we know, I know that one day I'm going to stand in front of you and you're going to have this big list of everything I've done wrong. And Jesus will say, this one is mine. My blood has covered him. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into paradise today. And God, we just live in anticipation of that moment. And we just want to honor and glorify you with everything you've given us. For every person in this room, God, who has just felt like they're the not good enough me, Lord, release them. Give them freedom. Break their chains, God. Father, help them to see your light, your goodness, your grace. That you're the kind of father that went after us. You're the kind of father who didn't wait for us to get it right, but who just stepped in the way. That that's who you are. We worship you. You, We glorify you. We thank you for your nature. That you are a compassionate and gracious God. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand up? We're about to sing a song. It's a great song. Um, It's called Reckless Love. And it's based around this idea where Jesus in Luke 15, he tells these stories about how much God loves lost things. And, uh, and there's one moment where he talks about a shepherd who had one sheep that wandered off. And he was so excited about getting that lost sheep that he left all 99 behind. And, and he pursued it and he, he threw it up over his shoulders and carried it back. And there's another story right after that. Maybe you've heard it. It's called the prodigal son. And the prodigal son is a great, great reminder of who God is and what he's done. You see, there's this son. And there's just a lot of bad inside of him. He takes his father's inheritance long before his father passes. And he leaves home and disowns his family, brings shame to his father, shame to his brother, shame to his family. And he goes to Vegas and blows the whole thing. He lives wild. He just does it all. Everything he wants, he does it. And then the money's gone. And then the honor's gone. And then the favors run out. And it all just kind of starts to fall apart. And he finds himself in a trough with pigs thinking that even my father's servants get treated better than this. So he goes home, and he's going home, and his, he's got a speech prepared 
of how he's going to make up to his father the way that he hurt his father. He's going to tell him he's sorry. He's going to grovel. He's going to kiss his father's rings. He's going to say, God, Father, if you would just let me be one of your servants. I know I'm not your son anymore. I know that's over. Just let me be a servant to you. Then that would be enough for me. That's what he's believing about himself. He says, I'm not a good enough son, and I'm going to go find my good enough dad, and hopefully we can make this work. But the sun crests the horizon, and the Bible says, Jesus is telling the story, that the father's been standing at, at, at the porch just watching that horizon for years, believing that one day his son was going to crest it. And he sees his son, and he he just takes off across the field. He's left his dignity on the porch. He's just just running and sprinting, going for his son, and he gets there, and he wraps him up in his arms tight. And his son wants to say, I'm sorry. He wants to say, I'll make it up to you. I'll get it right. And his father just says, stop, that's enough. I don't need your excuses. I don't need to hear why. You don't need to say sorry. You're home, and now you're my son again. Here's my ring. Kill the fattened calf. We're going to celebrate because my son is home. You need to know. That's your father in you. That's, that's the story. That's your story. That's what he's waiting for. He's not waiting for you to get it right. He's not waiting for you to be good enough. He's just waiting for you to start walking towards him. He's just waiting for you to start going towards him in that relationship that you might know him so he can walk you to freedom. That's this story today. If you're in here this morning and you've, just, you've been standing just on the other side of the crest of that hill for too long rehearsing speeches, Let's throw the speeches away. Your father's waiting for you to come home. If that's you this morning, with every head bowed and every eye closed, pray this prayer with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for forgiving me. Thank you, Lord, for doing what I never could do and making it right between us. I believe in you, Jesus, in your sacrifice and your resurrection. I want to know you more. I give you all that I am and all that I ever will be. And these are my first steps. In Jesus' name, amen.